It's finally here, so let out a shriek. Halloween has fallen upon all end this week. Your monstrous hosts, Eric and Seth, will act as your guides on this night of undeath. You'll be under a spell or a vampire's embrace. There is much to discuss, like a partner showcase. There's a chill in the air, and the night is pitch black. This week's indie showcase is on Pumpkin Jack. But before a werewolf can eat you alive, your host will conjure a spooky top five. Nintendo Switch horrors like you've never seen. There is no better way to spend Halloween. So put on your best costume, grab your candy, and then join Eric and Seth. It's time to go all end. Happy Halloween, everybody. Welcome to All In. I am Nightmare on Seth Street. And I am the king of Halloween, Eric Skellington. Thank you so much for joining us on this spookiest of occasions. Spooky. Yes, welcome to All In. New and returning listeners, the Nintendo Variety Show, where every week no shell is left unturned, no point is left un. Earned. Earned. That's right. We're very happy to be with you guys here on this auspicious evening of uh, of ghouls and ghosts. Wink, wink. Uh- <laughs> it's a super night of ghouls and ghosts. There you go. We, could, we can even go as far as to say that. But we're going to get into it. We got a good show lined up for you today. But before we get into all that, what has been going on this week, sir? Ah, well, things have happened. Wound up playing a few demos. Finally picked up Hades. Uh, It's about time. I know, I know, I know. Looking to put some real time into that. Obviously, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Of course, Pikmin 3 Deluxe just came out yesterday. So trying to put Mm -hmm. a lot of time into that. Of course, I also, because it came out yesterday as well, I, of course, had to watch the first episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And No spoilers. Yeah, no, 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 no spoilers. We, we're always spoiler free, especially when it comes to stuff like that. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. But yeah, Pikmin and demos and The Mandalorian and just gearing up for... For Day of the Dead, for, you know, All Hallows' Eve, for the big night. What about you, bud? We've we've certainly got 
plenty to talk about in terms of that too. Later on in the show, we are going to recommend to you the games that you can play on your Nintendo Switch for the big night for All Hallows Eve. But yeah, for me, it's been a bunch of moving. (laughs) Um, I've been talking about this for a little while now. My personal life's been crazy and hectic, and it's been like one thing after another. But my wife and I are now finally, finally moved into our new house. Um, We may not be unpacked in our new house, but... I am recording this episode is the the first episode that I'm recording from my studio, my new office space. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. Pretty happy about that. I'm actually here with like this huge room at my disposal. Now, I do apologize if this sounds, if my audio sounds a little bit more echoey than it normally does. That's because there's literally nothing else in this room with me except for like my computer and my microphone setup. So uh, hopefully this time next week, I'll actually have some soundproofing and some things on the walls. I got to get the Amiibo wall set back up, of course. Of course. But uh, <laughs> but that, to be completely honest, that that has been the bulk of, uh, of what's been going on. All the accoutrements that come with moving into a new house with, that comes with moving and, you know, you, you got to get the U-Haul and you got to get like the the power and the water turned on and the internet set up and all that junk. So it's, it's been a bunch of uh, adulting and real lifing for me this week, but uh, man, there's so much to catch up on because the news has been insane this past week. Yeah. There's been a scary amount of news over the past week. So I think we should start getting into it. Let's do it. So obviously the big story of the week, like we've said for the past couple weeks after Square Enix came out and said that details would be emerging soon about Bravely Default 2, we knew that we basically had another partner showcase imminent and we finally got it this past Wednesday. And in addition to everything that came out of the Partner Showcase, Nintendo did make a point to say that this will be the last Partner Showcase of the calendar year. So we could get some more information. We could get a couple other, you know, maybe Indie World directs or something to that effect. But as far as Partner Showcases go, Nintendo did confirm this will be the last one we see in 2020. But man, there was certainly enough to take away from this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, to, to backtrack for just a second, I actually want to take your temperature on that. Do you think that this is the last, essentially the last direct of 2020? Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I sort of feel like we, you know, they've already, they've said, obviously, this will be the final partner showcase i i do think that we're probably going to get another like indie something but do you think we're going to get any sort of like be it a regular nintendo direct or a regular nintendo direct mini or i mean it sort of feels like this is probably the bulk of the news there is to share for this year well we could get a pokemon presents we could get another smash brothers fighter announcement there are still a few things that could happen granted i know it was you know, four or five months in between us getting Min Min and us getting Steve. But yeah, I mean, we've still got two full months left where I mean, we've had such a, such a busy 
few months in terms of news coming out of Nintendo. Again, we, we talked about this on a previous episode, but it really felt like Nintendo had some kind of presentation, had some kind of announcement, some kind of direct, some kind of video coming out every week. So I, I don't no. think they're stopping cold turkey for the rest of the year. I don't think we're going to be getting them with the frequency we have been for the past couple of weeks, but I still think right. that we have at least one or two to look forward to before New Year's. Yeah, and you know, the pandemic shifted a lot of stuff around for them. Um, you know, the thing that we kept pointing to as we were looking forward to this particular partner showcase, um, again, we've thought that this is going to happen for the past like two weeks. And that that comes off of the back of Square Enix saying that Bravely Default 2 news was coming soon. Uh, Apex Legends was, you know, raided by the ESRB. So we assumed that that was coming very soon. That game actually is now delayed to 2021. And uh, that, that was a bit of a bummer for a lot of Apex Legends fans that were looking forward to playing that on their Switch this fall. But they, they did cite the pandemic as, as some of the reasoning for why it's taking a little bit of extra development time. So, and then, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. But Bravely Default 2 kind of got a delay too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought this might be the case with it being so late in the year and us still knowing so little about it. I mean, the fact that it's only delayed until February... That's that's not too bad, but no. But ultimately, as late into the year as it was getting, it didn't necessarily surprise me that it was getting delayed until 2021. Granted, I know that Nintendo has kind of had this mo, especially in 2020, of dropping games out of nowhere. We only had one month notice of Paper Mario: The Origami King. We got Kirby Fighter Two basically shadow dropped, and we had what two weeks notice of Mario 3D All Stars. So yeah, I mean there there was still a, a decent chance that Bravely Default Two was still coming out this year based on Nintendo's prior track record in 2020 with the way they've been weirdly pushing out information. But ultimately, the fact that it got delayed to next year is not really surprising at all. Now we did learn a few new things about the game in addition to its delay. It turns out they are really listening to the fan base. They did make a point of saying that they have made a conscious effort to augment the game greatly based on the feedback that people gave during the demo or from the demo that was released earlier on in the year to the point of even making a video to be published on Nintendo's yeah. YouTube channel to point out all the things that they have uh, gone into the game and messed around with just because of that feedback. And especially when you're doing something like that, when you're taking the pulse so, so much to heart, taking the gamer's pulse, taking the pulse of your audience so much to heart and going in and trying to craft your game around that you know make sure to give the people what they want i'm okay with them taking a little bit of extra time to do that yeah totally i think that's a great reason if you're going to delay a game like that I, I think that's a really great reason to do it they highlighted a few things like i think they're actually adding um difficulty options based on player feedback i think a lot of people felt that the game was extraordinarily difficult when the demo came out back in march but yeah, um, they're posting, or maybe they've posted by now, a entire video breaking down all of the fan feedback changes uh, on Nintendo's YouTube channel. So you can definitely go and check that out. The game comes out February 26th. So 
I, I did sort of expect it to come out in December. Nintendo seems to like to put some of their like JRPGs in December. We've seen them do that with Xenoblade Chronicles time and again. And I sort of thought that's where this was going to sit. But now, you know, they've got Fire Emblem there. They're cozy with that. And uh, and Bravely Default's getting a little bit of a bump uh, to February. And I think that's totally fine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Bravely Default fans. I, I, I think I said on the show when they first announced this, um, I've never played either of the games. I've always wanted to, never got around to it. Maybe this will be my first. I mean, I'm I'm very much an old school JRPG fan. I grew up on obviously games like the old Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior, and especially Final Fantasy and the turn-based mm-hmm. combat system. So with everything moving toward a much more real-time oriented, a much more action-oriented kind of set up in many of the AAA JRPGs. It is really nice to still see games like Bravely Default 2 coming out that are still very pure to the roots of, you know, old school JRPGs from uh, even going back to the late 80s. So, oh yeah, those are games that I typically resonate with a little bit more. Not to say that I wouldn't enjoy or that I don't enjoy the newer Final Fantasy games or newer JRPGs, but I am a very nostalgic person. So, oh yeah, I'm in complete agreement. I, I definitely think there's still room for those old school RPGs, man. I love them, and it's obviously taking so many cues from especially old Final Fantasy games with the whole crystal motif and the job system, which they call yep. asterisks in this game. But if you're a fan of Games like Final, especially Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy X-2 with the the job set up and that entire uh, RPG structure, I think you'll be really interested in Bravely Default 2. And I've got to say, despite it being kind of an enhanced 3DS game, it does look really good in motion. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the game looks good. I, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I definitely, it has got my ears perked up, so... February 26, again, is the new date for Bravely Default 2. Hope everybody's looking forward to that. Um, Another thing that was sort of a kind of, or would have been, I should say, a surprise from this partner showcase is that the Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity demo was shadow dropped, which was really cool. Now, we did kind of see this coming a little bit because uh, Nintendo's Korean uh, website kind of spilled the beans on that a little bit. And the North American eShop even spilled the beans on it just before this partner showcase went live. Um, but yeah, we, you and I have now played Age of Calamity thanks to this demo. What, what did you think? Well, I will say really quickly, I thought that and this is something I mentioned to you. I did wonder if they shadow dropped the partner showcase on Wednesday in a response to the leak of the Age of Calamity demo, because I thought that was very interesting timing that that would get, you know, that that would get leaked. And then all of a sudden, not what, two hours later, we have a partner showcase shadow dropped. So I did, I did wonder about that timing just a little bit. Yeah. I think, I think the timing probably was a little bit skewed there because they typically do these things on Thursdays. Cause that's also when the eShop typically updates, um, so maybe they shifted things uh, 24 hours ahead to compensate. But uh, but yeah, you may be right on that. But yeah, what what'd you think of the game? Well, all right. Well, the demo, the demo itself is like an hour and a half, two hours long. It is a nice meaty demo. It is. It is. 
So you get two full story missions in addition to a couple side missions. And you really get a feel for how the game is going to go. The control of the characters, they feel a little bit lighter than Link did in Breath of the Wild. Link felt a little bit more, he felt like he had a little bit more heft to him. Sure. Uh, In terms of just the gameplay, I've got to say I was pretty impressed with the amount of variety that each individual character has in terms of their attacks and their capabilities. So you have Link, you have Impa, you have Zelda that you can play in the demo. And each of these characters does have a pretty decent amount of attack variety. They're all wildly different. They are very wildly different. But one of the things I like is that they do incorporate the 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 runes, the Sheikah runes. Mm-hmm. So you've got your cryon, cry, cryonosis, cryonis, cry, cryonis. Yeah. yeah, you've got your cold stuff. <laughs> you've got the bombs. You've got the magnesis. You've got the uh, what's the 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 locking in place stasis. The stasis. But you've got all the runes from Breath of the Wild, but the characters use them in individual, unique, and interesting ways. Link may be able to use the bombs, but Zelda can also use the bombs, and Impa can also use the bombs, and presumably the other characters will also be able to use the bombs, but they all do it differently. They all tailor mm-hmm. it to themselves, and then each character has their own unique action that they can do. Link has a bow and arrow. Impa has this talisman symbol that she can use to create shadow versions of herself and then uh, zelda can use kind of like she can detonate the sheikah runes that she has out on the battlefield so i mean just like you said just with the characters we've seen and how wildly different they play but with as much variety as the individual characters have i think i mean we were able to get a lot of mileage out of this demo yeah, totally. Well, and I, I think one of the reasons that they kind of increase like things like movement speed, make the characters feel lighter is because even compared to other Musou games, even compared to the previous Hyrule Warriors, they're giving you a lot of space. It's not open world. This is, you know, you are going to be in confined spaces, but you feel like because it's taking place on these sort of battlegrounds of Hyrule, like it feels more open than it actually is. You've got a pretty large play area. So it was sort of important for them to, to make them run faster and stuff like this. Um, man, I'm going to spend way too much time with this game when it comes out. No, you're, you're going to spend, you're going to spend way too much time with Impa. Oh yeah. The, the basically like I, I tried all the other characters, but Impa's my girl, man. Like she's so fun. Like she is so much fun to play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her so much and like everything from like her personality to her voice she's just a great character the total highlight standout character don't at me about baby guardian uh, he's cool whatever impa's the highlight of this game for me uh no doubt about it but she was so much fun to play i i love you know like we've already touched on the variety of the characters i love the uh you know, one one of the big things that that I took away from this was the variety in the gameplay. Um, there's a scenario where you're having to take down a guardian. Guardians can still just, just. Oh yeah, yeah. In this timeline, they're like unfamiliar with having to deal with them as an opposing force. So it was kind of cool that it almost became like a 
it almost became like a scary encounter and you had to figure out how to deal with them. And, and I thought that was really cool. This is not the kind of thing typically with Musou games traditionally. It's just turn your brain off and hack and slash, right? Well, in this game, there's a little bit more variety to the moment-to-moment gameplay, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I was having flashbacks to back when I started Breath of the Wild to where even seeing a guardian off in the distance meant that I was about to see a game over screen. Yeah, they're terrifying back then. And, you know, there's... I'm not going to spoil it because I was actually surprised when this when this game starts up. You do ostensibly play the first like chapter of the game in this demo, and in fact, you can carry over your progress when the full game releases if you'd like to. But I'm surprised how much story is present in Age of Calamity. Like even just in this demo, the amount of cutscenes, the amount of like fully voiced story interstitials. It's it's pretty staggering. Yeah, you've got cutscenes. You've got kind of these little mini narratives that take place throughout the course of the story missions. You have like even stories being narrated in between the cutscenes. So there's there's mm-hmm. a lot a lot going on. Uh, again, this is something that we've been saying for weeks because they have been pushing the story. They've been pushing the narrative of Age of Calamity very, very hard in all the promotional material. So we knew this was going to be the case. But I think you and I were both still kind of surprised at just how much, how story driven this game is going to be. Yeah, no, it really is positioned as a proper Breath of the Wild prequel. And, you know, again, I'm not going to spoil anything because the demo's out there. Go play it yourself if you have any interest at all in the game. But they're taking an angle with this game's story that I didn't really expect them to take, and I'm very intrigued by it. And you get that right from the very start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There is an angle they introduced that could potentially have long-lasting effects and could potentially even affect the sequel. So, again, if you play the demo, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. But they introduce a story element into Age of Calamity that, well, it certainly has potential to do things. Yeah, well, and it also makes, like, we're speaking vaguely, of course, but but it also makes things that have to happen in a game like this have ways to make narrative sense. I'll say that. And again, go play the demo. Within five minutes, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. It's really, really interesting. I can't wait to get the full version of this game in my hands and see and play more. And I do really like a lot of the design choices that they've made. You have the the Sheikah Towers are making a return from Breath of the Wild. They, just like in Breath of the Wild, they kind of serve as not necessarily a hub, but they, they very much centralize your characters and the the gameplay. A lot of the stuff you do is f- essentially from these towers. You start there and then go off on your different missions. And then just like in Breath of the Wild, you've got all kinds of little things popping up on your map, not just the story missions, but side missions and even side things like uh, training missions and shops and all kinds of little things. So just within the demo, you'll see a few dozen things pop up on the map that you can interact with. And uh, it just really makes me 
want to see what the rest of the game has to offer. Not just the full roster of playable characters, but the rest of the story, the rest of, I mean, we're, we're probably talking upwards of 100 hours of gameplay when Age of Calamity finally releases in a few weeks. Oh, if it's anything like the first game, yes. I, I And yeah, I love the way that they have sort of uh, given weight and purpose to the random little, you know, battlefield collectibles. And I, I love it. I th- This really fired on all cylinders for me. I also loved, as a quick shout out, before we move on, the gallery options that they've got in this game where they actually have got, you're, you're able to go and, and replay any of the cutscenes. They've got a full music player. It's it's awesome. I, I'm really happy about that. It looks like you can view artwork that is going to be unlockable. I mean, this game looks like it is going to be just chock full of content. Can't wait. Bring it on. Yes. But in the meantime, if you're waiting, if you've already finished the demo and you're waiting, uh, you've got a few weeks waiting for Age of Calamity to come out. I'll tell you something you could potentially do in the next couple weeks. Mm. You could play one of the No More Heroes games that got shadow dropped on Wednesday. Oh, this made me so happy. So we did get a little bit more news on No More Heroes 3 in the Partner Showcase and found out about the incredibly weird and bizarre, of course we knew it was going to be this way, but we found out about the incredibly weird and bizarre alien angle they're taking with No More Heroes 3. Um, As of right now, the game is also coming out next year, but to tide us over... No More Heroes and No More Heroes 2 Desperate Struggle are now available to download on the Nintendo eShop for $17.99. Yes, that's a, I, I don't know if that's like a launch window sale or something like that. I think the standard price is $19.99, but still uh, great games. I love both of these games. And uh, th- this was so like the second I got home from work Wednesday, these games got bought. It, it was just it was a no brainer. I love the No More Heroes series. It was really nice to finally get some No More Heroes 3 gameplay footage, not just like weird, like, hey, Suda51 showed up with a blurry screenshot or something in this random video. <laughs> so to actually finally get to see No More Heroes 3 in action was was very nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a perfect, what a perfect strategy, right? A, a perfect, like you know, self-aware, tongue-in-cheek, fourth-wall-breaking trailer like No More Heroes is known for to announce a shadow drop of one and two, uh, getting people ready for three. I mean, it's just, uh, it's great. And I'm, I'm very happy as a big fan of this series. Yeah, that sale is going on for the next two weeks. So obviously, once the sale ends, they're still just going to be $20. But I mean... Still, they're worth downloading anyway. And if Suda51, if you've ever been interested in any of his work, obviously you've got Shadows of the Damned, you've got Killer7. He is a very singular visionary when it comes to his games. Weird Mm -hmm. doesn't really begin to describe it. So if you're into games like that, definitely check out No More Heroes and No More Heroes 2 Desperate Struggle, now available on the Nintendo eShop, and keep your eyes out for No More Heroes 3. Glad to finally see a little bit more information, a little bit more coming out about that. I mean, man, that's just that trailer, dude, that was <laughs> man. Yeah. These games are over the top. They're, they're very Japanese. They're very like they, they, it's, I mean, these are like hack and slash combat based games, but man, um, there's just an energy and a vibe to no more heroes. That is completely like you said, singular and unmatched. And, uh, 
yeah, it's really cool. Now that we've got all of these No More Heroes games, one, two, uh, Travis Strikes Again, and then three coming out next year, we've got the entire series under one roof on Switch, and, and that just makes me so happy. Me as well. And we, we did kind of mention that there is an alien theme going on in No More Heroes with Travis basically trying to take down an entire alien invasion. However, mm-hmm. uh, we also found out about another alien invasion going on. <laughs> this time it is much more adorable. Yes, it is. Coming to us from HAL Laboratories. Yes, the Kirby people. <laughs> Part-time UFO was shadow dropped as well. In addition to No More Heroes, in addition to No More Heroes 2, part-time UFO was shadow dropped on the Nintendo eShop. And this just looks like a delight. This was also an insta-buy for me. You know what my very first thought was when I saw this game? My very first thought when this trailer was shown was, this is a DS game. In a good way. Not That's not me saying like, oh, this looks like crap or whatever. This is the kind of game that would feel right at home on DS. Like in a good nostalgic way, it reminded me of a DS game. And uh, I haven't actually had a chance to play it yet, but man, I I cannot wait. It's on my Switch waiting for me. It's got this really cute, colorful, almost like Yoshi's Island 1 aesthetic, almost like a hand-drawn kind of aesthetic that I really dig. And Mm -hmm. uh, and man, I was all over it. It it kind of... Gave me a vibe of Vitamin Connection, that Way Forward game that came out. Oh, sure. Yeah. I It kind of gave me that kind of vibe, but uh, I have it on my Switch as well. Definitely need to play it. Uh, you and I should definitely get into some part-time UFO action here this weekend, Seth, going into November. But even that was not it from this partner showcase. And this is bringing up a very interesting point that I think we should spend a couple minutes with. So, yeah, we have some very notable third-party titles making their way to the Nintendo Switch. We have Hitman coming to the Nintendo Switch. We have the Game of the Year candidate, Control, that was shadow-dropped. You can actually download Control right now and play it on your Nintendo Switch right now. And there was a report that came out that said uh, data miners had found that we are more than likely very soon getting the Resident Evil 3 remake following on the footsteps of Control and Hitman. Now, but the interesting thing about all this is, is not simply the fact that these high-profile third-party titles are coming to the Nintendo Switch. It's how you're going to be playing them. This was very interesting and sort of a quiet, honestly, a quiet, like a little revolutionary move here because these games are the quote unquote cloud versions of these games. You are, you are basically downloading an application on your Nintendo switch that is launching a cloud stream of the game to your console, which is allowing you to play a game like control in PS4 fidelity on your switch and it is crazy yes i know you and i both played through the free demo of control i actually played through it twice because one of the options control gives you is essentially to stream the game with performance in mind or to stream the game with enhanced graphical fidelity in mind right 
Right. So I played through both ways. I'm interested to hear that. I played it in performance, so I'm interested to hear how graphics worked out. So for me, I did notice a slight uptick in the graphics. And in terms of performance, I did notice when I was preferring, when I was prioritizing graphics, I did notice kind of an interesting delay on my right stick mm. on the camera movement, just ever so slight. It's something that I notice when I play Pokemon, when I get online in Pokemon Sword and Shield. Right. Sometimes your camera movement, the right stick on your camera movement will be a little delayed. Right. That's honestly about it. That's honestly the only difference that I noticed when I was streaming uh, Control to my Nintendo Switch. And I've got to say, the game looks really pretty on the Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, it's completely, I mean, I own the game already on, on PS4 and have played it on PS4. Visually, it looks completely on par with PS4 because essentially it is just streaming the game to your Switch. And I mean, like, I mean, we just, let's double back there for a second, folks, and just take that sentence in for a second. <laughs> we have both been streaming a PS4 game onto our Nintendo Switch. That's crazy. And this is like, the kind of thing that could be completely revolutionary in keeping Nintendo in the conversation. You know, this is something that they did in Japan with, I think, Assassin's Creed, uh, I think, Origins, and with Resident Evil 7 streaming those in Japan. Now we've got that here, where we've got Hitman coming that way, we've got Control already available that way, and by all accounts, Resident Evil 3 Remake, like, like that's just, you know, that's happening. They actually, they, they've like data mined the logo that's happening at some point down the line. So it's really interesting. It's really crazy. And yeah, I can't believe how well it works. Like, I'm not going to buy it again because again, I already own it. But like, this is would be a completely viable way to play control on the Switch. Playing in performance mode with my internet settings. And again, this is all being streamed over the internet. So your mileage may vary. It's going to depend on your speeds and things like that, which is exactly why Nintendo is allowing you to have this kind of free 10 to 15 minutes with the game to see how your internet is going to handle it. But um, man, I can't, I, I'm, I was actually floored at how well it worked. I'm still very much, you know, I'm, I'm an old school kind of gamer. I not only would I prefer to have would I prefer to actually own the game that I'm playing? But again, I'm, I prefer to have a physical hard copy. I own a hard copy of every game I can have a hard copy for. So when, when I hear stuff like streaming games, stuff like that, uh, not essentially owning the games, but essentially paying for the right to stream them. I don't know. stuff like that kind of kind of raises a little bit of re uh, of a red flag for me that I think is why one of the reasons Google Stadia has just absolutely bombed but um, I don't know I was admittedly very wrong about online multiplayer I didn't think that was going to catch on the uh, future is now old man I know right like <laughs> I, I feel like an idiot admitting that I honestly didn't think online multiplayer was going to catch on but having games streaming not necessarily owning the games, but paying for the rights to stream them and needing a very good internet connection. If you want a good experience, I don't know. We'll see. It's again, it's the future. 
Nintendo's trying it. Apparently, they've had some enough success with it in Japan that they are now expanding that practice. So we'll see. I mean, if that's what it's going to take to get these incredibly powerful AAA games onto the Nintendo Switch, if you know you can't fit them on game cards, if they're just going to take up too much memory in the Switch, if this is the best way to get them, which honestly, with a lot of those games, it probably is, especially if you're going to be talking about, you know, obviously nothing has been said about a lot of Rockstar's games, but you look at a lot of the bigger AAA titles and they're a hundred gig plus. That's obviously not going to fit on a Switch cartridge. That's obviously not going to fit on the Nintendo Switch without a massive SD card. So for a lot of these, this might be the only viable option. So in that regard, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm with you in, in a lot of those respects. I agree with you. I, there's something, you know, old school about me that fundamentally dislikes the notion that I don't actually own the game that, yeah, if I take my switch to like a hotel or something, I'm not going to be able to play control. Right. So there is that, but I mean, the, the reality is, is that, yeah, this is something that is becoming more and more popular. This is an option that more and more people are exploring like Google Stadia, like Amazon, you know, and, and Luna and stuff like that. And, and Microsoft's toying with it with xCloud. And th- this is stuff that is becoming more and more ingratiated into video game culture. And I think it's really interesting that Nintendo is, you know, Nintendo is so often the innovator. If Nintendo is sort of, zeroing in on something like this as a viable strategy, I think that almost indicates its validity. Like if Nintendo is going to spend their time on this, it indicates that it's something worth spending time on. Um, And I find it really interesting that, yeah, this is the way that they can sort of, let me just tell you this. I was a like diehard, like I owned a Wii before I ever owned a 360 and a, or a PS3. And I played all of my games like only on Wii for a very long time, like longing for the halos of the world and stuff like that. (laughs) If you would have told me back then as a like Wii owner, that being the only console I owned that all of a sudden I could play these other games on my Wii, you know, thrilled I would have been. (laughs) So I'm just like, hey, like if there are people out there who only own a Switch, guess what? You can play Control now. That's pretty crazy. And, and to go, you know, to, to sort of talk about the, the space uh, requirement too, like you just said, this, you know, this doesn't take up virtually any space. It's just a, a application launcher. Basically you can go on the eShop right now, download the control app and be playing in seconds. Really? Yeah. If you, it's, it's nuts. If you're not somebody who goes on the go a lot with their Nintendo Switch and you have a very good internet connection, if this is a practice that Nintendo continues to use, you could very easily have dozens of recent, very str- very uh, polished, very strong AAA titles on your Nintendo Switch because Control is not a game that came out at the beginning of the PS4 and the Xbox One's life cycle. That was the no. last year. This is just this past year. So... If they can get those games running on the Nintendo Switch at the fidelity that they're running at, then again, uh, it gives me a little bit of an itch that I'm not owning the game. But being able to play those games potentially on the go, depending on where you can find a decent internet connection, but having them regardless on your Nintendo Switch, if that's the system that you own, 
uh, because there's a lot of more mature AAA titles out there that, you know, if you had to choose between a PS4 and a Nintendo Switch and you chose a Nintendo Switch because of your children or because of other people in your life, but you were still looking to a lot of these other games that were coming out, all of these other third-party titles that were coming out on the PS4 and the Xbox One, that might be a viable option for you now. That might be a viable option for these publishers to bring those over if this streaming capability uh, works uh, on the platform. So we'll see. We will see very soon. Side question before we move on, because we've already been talking about the partner showcase for a long time. When we're talking about something like a Switch Pro, could it be possible? This is something that I posit as we're talking about cloud gaming or as we're talking about game streaming. I wonder if they're going to set that thing up to be more accessible for that. If there's going to be a stronger Wi-Fi component, if there's going to be, maybe they'll even explore something like what Sony did with the Vita where they had like um, options where you can set it up with a 3G plan or 3G at the time. Now we're up to like 5G or whatever it is. But you know, yeah. some sort of like option to where you can have internet on the go and more stable internet on the go, better Wi-Fi capabilities, faster speeds. I, I sort of wonder if that's something that we're going to see in the Switch Pro, if that's going to be a focus for Nintendo. Well, I'm not an engineer, but I can't imagine that trying to optimize a potential Switch Pro for streaming like that we're seeing now with Control and Hitman and Resident Evil 3 Remake optimizing a new potential system, a new potential platform to be able to do that better. I, I think you can do that without sacrificing really anything else. I think you can I do, do that in addition to whatever else you want to do. I don't think it's one or the other. Again, I'm right. not an electrician. I'm not an engineer. I don't make these things. I can't say for certain, but it doesn't feel like one of those things where they're going to choose this at the cost of something else. So if this is something that Nintendo is going to be serious about, especially moving into the Xbox Series X and the PS5 portion of the Switch's lifespan, then uh, that would not surprise me at all if they optimize the next Switch very much so. And if the Switch is already running control, a, you know, a brand new Game of the Year contender, a brand new, very powerful third-party game, as well as it's doing already, because I, I don't I don't feel like I have the greatest internet connection ever, but I really didn't have an issue streaming, uh, again, minus those minuscule camera issues, even when I was optimizing graphics over performance. So if that's already where we're at and they optimize it even further for a potential Switch Pro, then I don't know. I think Nintendo could have a very viable strategy going into the next generation of gaming consoles with their switch platform. Yeah. I mean, this, this will keep them in the conversation, right? This will be the kind of thing where no longer will people look at the switch as like, Oh, well that's just like, you know, we're leaving that in the dust. Right. Because now this thing, all of a sudden it's got your bread and butter first party, amazing Nintendo games. It's got multi-platform and indie support. And it's got the capability that like something like a Google stadia is trying to do, but done better with prolific, third-party titles that are available on more powerful platform competitors. So really, really cool. But talking about the Switch Pro seems like a good chance to pivot into another little news bit that came out this week. Um, Economic Daily News 
has been reporting that Nintendo has visited Taiwanese screen producer Inelux to partner with them on a mini LED display for the rumored Switch Pro we were just talking about. Um, the reason this would be a bit of a big deal is because a mini LED, as opposed to what they're going with now, would improve the screen's brightness, contrast, and battery life. Um, for those that don't know, the way that these screens work, the current setup basically is completely backlit with individual like bulbs and stuff. And it, it allows for a little bit of bleed. Like That's why when you have a, a, a blank, a black screen on your Switch, it's still like technically lit up. It doesn't look like true black. This kind of thing will allow for much more true color contrast, uh, much more true brightness representation, and better battery life as a result. So could be kind of cool. Could be. Just another kind of breadcrumb thrown out there that makes us all think that next March, we are finally going to be getting a new version of the Nintendo Switch. You know, not a Switch Lite, but, you know, the Switch's actual bigger, beefier brother. Yep, absolutely. And again, breadcrumbs a great word for it because we have been getting these little rumors, these little things here and there. And I mean, we even did a top five uh, several episodes ago talking about the the features that we want to see in the Switch Pro and uh, the, the screen improvements and stuff and battery life improvements were a part of that. So this is good news to me. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning more. I mean, I'm going to keep following these breadcrumbs until it leads to something. And yeah. I don't know. I'm really, really excited. So we'll see what next March has in store. And I mean, who knows? Uh, like we just mentioned, I don't think we're done with Nintendo Direct presentations. It it could be something to where Nintendo announces it before the end of the year. We will see. So one very interesting story to come out of Nintendo is that on the 16th, on November 16th, we are going to be getting some much requested functionality for Mario 3D All-Stars. After a lot of comments have come out about the game, Nintendo is patching in camera inversion controls. And it might seem like not a big deal on the surface, but I think there's a lot more there. Yeah, I mean, people have been requesting this, have been um, sort of whining, frankly, <laughs> about this since the game came out. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see them listen to that because this is probably one of those features that people were a little justified in, in complaining about them taking out or not including or whatever. So, hey, on the 16th, it's coming out. It's getting patched in. So you, you can you can cool it now. <laughs> well, I don't know if this was the plan always when they released the game that they were always going to work on additional features for the game. I know that it does feel a little weird specifically because there was so much hype surrounding this game that so many people bought it launch day. I've already hundred percented all three games mm -hmm. in the collection. This patch still isn't coming out for another couple of weeks already. And I've already, you know, I've done, I, I've put my hundred hours into the collection already and I've already put it to the side. So for those people who haven't really put that much time into it, this will be great for them. Uh, and it is nice that Nintendo is doing this. I'm glad they're adding this functionality. And I hope they continue to, to look at things they could potentially add to this and other games. I don't know. We'll see. But it it does. I can't help but feel if it's just a little bit too late for a lot of people. Maybe. Maybe. But I mean, I, it's just time for the holidays, right? Yeah, there you go. 
I mean, that's that's really, I think, why they, they wanted to push it out. You know, I, I don't know. I, I almost wonder if they put this game out there without those inverted control options and thought that it just wasn't going to be as big a deal as it was. <laughs> like, they're kind of hoping that it would, like, skirt by unnoticed or something. And then people obviously, you know, did what they did. And, uh, and now Nintendo's like, well, let's prioritize this. Let's get this out there in time for the holidays when more people are going to be buying this up. Because make no mistake, there are going to be a lot more Switches flying off the shelves and a lot of copies of Super Mario 3D All-Stars flying off the shelves. So it'll be nice to have this patch out for the people getting this for the first time. Absolutely. And it does make me wonder whether or not they have anything else lined up, any more ideas for patching in, not necessarily content, but you know, maybe a few more options like this. If the options are substantial enough, I don't know. It might convince me to to put the game back in and put a few more hours into it. We will see. Yeah, maybe they'll just patch in Galaxy 2 casually. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how nuts would that be? Just out of nowhere. Just like, yeah, we always planned on doing it. We just wanted to give you, you know, just just wanted to just wanted to nudge you guys. Just wanted to take you guys for a ride. <laughs> But we were always going to give this to you. <laughs> they just—I would love to see that patch note, just like uh, you know, various bug fixes added. Super Mario Galaxy Two. <laughs> that would be absolutely nuts. Ah, oh, I love it. I've already—I've already professed my theories on that, so we, we won't get into that. I'll keep my tinfoil hat, you know, right here where it belongs. And we have already talked a lot this episode about games that have been delayed into 2021. However, we did get confirmation of a release date for another game this year. Taiko no Tatsujin Rhythm Adventure Pack is going to be released on December 3rd. Now, for those who might not be super familiar with the game, it was announced, I believe, in the September Partner Showcase. And essentially what it is, it's a two-pack of uh, previously Japan-only rhythm games based around Taito drums. And it's something that I'm personally kind of excited for because if you listened to our analysis of that partner showcase you'll remember that during my time in my youth back in japan i was actually a little junior taito drum troop player <laughs> so for me this is something that i'm i'm kind of excited for but if you're interested in anything like that if you're interested in rhythm games at all Certainly seems like there's a lot to to be choosing from here pretty soon on the Nintendo Switch between that and Kingdom Hearts. But if this is something you're interested in, it is coming out on December 3rd. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've re I really like these games, so I'm definitely going to be... I, I still got to get my hands on one of those drum kits from Japan, so... <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we've talked about games that have been delayed. We've talked about games that are coming soon. But now let's talk about a game that we know about but we haven't really known if it's coming to Switch or not yet. Now we have a little more evidence, again, more breadcrumbs to suggest that maybe it is. I'm speaking about Crash Bandicoot for It's About Time. Um, we've had some evidence in the past from the website being data mined that perhaps this is coming to Switch. But now YouTube data miner, I swear this is their name, is Canadian Guy A, E-H. <laughs> Canadian Guy A? Yeah, exactly. Uh, has discovered that several Nintendo Switch-related items are hiding out in the game's source code, uh, even going as far as to revealing resolution and frame rate targets 
for docked and handheld mode. Apparently they're targeting 720p 30 frames per second, which is very much in line with what Toys for Bob did with the Spyro collection and with the Crash collection on Switch. So, yeah, I mean, this is just, we already sort of assumed, we've had things to suggest, uh, but this is even further evidence saying that, yeah, this game's coming to Switch one day. It's it's just short of it being officially confirmed. At this point, the official confirmation would just make everybody shrug and just say, oh, yeah, okay, cool. We, we knew that already. Just give us a date. Yeah, all right. Uh, just you know what it's going to be is they're they're waiting for the game awards when Sakurai is going to show the Crash for Smash trailer, and then they'll say, "Hey, Crash Force coming to Switch." It's just all going to be in one thing. Take it to the bank. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean that new character model for Crash does seem like it would translate very well into Smash Brothers. So some of those powers, some of those powers from Crash Force, some of the new masks would be perfect. It very much would be, and. Uh, I would like it. I would like it very, very much. And if it's something to where it's a game that you're interested in, but you don't have a PlayStation 4 to play it on, I mean, I know that makes me very interested to play it. I have a PS4, but obviously I haven't really had too much time to mess with it recently. I hear the game's great. I hear the game is super difficult, but still, I would be very, very interested in seeing it come to the Nintendo Switch, which, again, we know is the case. We just don't have a time frame yet. So. Uh, now essentially is just that's essentially just all we're waiting on at this point. It has been all but confirmed that Crash Four About Time will be coming Nintendo's way. We just don't have a date. Well, on Thursday we uh, we actually retweeted on Twitter uh, from Way Forward a kind of exciting announcement from them uh, that they are actually joining forces with developer Thirteen AM Games of Runbow fame. If you ever played that, I love that game great game it's a great game they're going to be publishing their giant monster co-op beat-em-up dawn of the monsters that game is coming uh not only just to switch but also to ps4 ps5 xbox one xbox series x and pc in late 2021 and there is footage of this game you can find on youtube looks like it's just going to be a really fun sort of kaiju brawler and uh yeah joining forces the way forward seems like a seems like a really good match I mean, yeah, even the pre-alpha footage looks really, really promising. I'm getting very, for, for those who have played King of the Monsters on the Neo Geo, it's giving me very, very strong King of the Monsters vibes. It's a side-scrolling kaiju-style beat-em-up. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we've needed a really good Godzilla game for a long time. I have missed games like Rampage. I have missed games like King of the Monsters uh what was that war of the monsters back on ps2 right i have missed games like these and the godzilla games that have come out in recent years just have not really scratched that itch and by all accounts it looks like this is going to and runbow of course as something you were talking to me about seth is a very strongly centric a strongly multiplayer centric experience so i've got to imagine that there's going to be some very, very fun PVP monster-on-monster hype action going on when Dawn of the Monsters comes out next year. Super excited for it. Obviously, WayForward has a a wonderful pedigree when it comes to side-scrolling, beat-em-up style games. Uh, I mean, has anybody seen River City Girls? Right, right. Yeah, 
it seems like a good match. Seems like a good publisher developer match. And uh, you know, I hope that beyond just like yeah, PvP obviously is a no brainer for this. But I'd love to see co op too. I'd love to see oh, some sort of like yeah, some rampage style co op with some kaiju destruction. You know, and it looks fun, man. The game looks good, even in its really rough pre alpha state. The game looks like a lot of fun. So. See, there's enough time left that in in my brain, I'm thinking maybe, maybe there's a chance that it could happen like with Friday the 13th, the game to where it started out as essentially just a fan game that was a copyright friendly version of Friday the 13th, that once the license holders got wind of it, they gifted the license to the developers and made it an official product. I kind of, in my in my dream of dreams, am hoping that the people that Toho find out about this game and they say, Hey, we'd love to gift you the license for Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan and Kinky Dora and all of our wonderful monsters. You seem like you have a really interesting product on your hands and we would like to be a part of it. That that's kind of my pipe dream right now for this game. I mean, that'd be amazing. I'll, I'll settle for a Godzilla, a Toho like DLC pack. I'll, dude, I'll settle for a rampage pack. You know, my, my boy, you know, play, playing around with like, do some co-op with like Ralph and Lizzie. <laughs> Ralph and Lizzie. And I would give them all the money. I would give yeah, them I mean, honestly. all of the money if they were able to put official Toho monsters in there. If they were able to put Rampage monsters in there, I would give 13 AM all of my money. But I think the point that we're both making here is that this sort of kaiju video game niche has been woefully underserved so i'm excited to see this yes but oh man dude it has been a week like there's so much stuff that we haven't even talked about yet there's a brand new game coming to the game boy called dragonborn an actual physical game boy game coming to the game boy called dragonborn that we haven't had time to talk about there was a bunch of other games announced at the partner showcase we haven't had time to talk about uh, games like Tropico 6, games like Surviving the Aftermath that looks really interesting, and several others. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and retweet the Partner Showcase again tomorrow. Again, there's just so much stuff to take away from that that we haven't even had time to get to yet. Because it's time for us to get spooky. It's Halloween, Seth. And you know what that means, right? That means scares. That means horror. <laughs> And that means video games. From this point on, dear listener, it's Halloween time. Obviously, we've been rocking the Halloween vibes all month long. We've been having Halloween-themed top fives. We've been having spooky indie showcases all month long. But it's just kind of got us thinking this entire month just about the nature of horror and especially as it relates to video games and nintendo so this was something we kind of wanted to take a deep dive on not necessarily as a retrospective but just kind of as the role of horror in video games what is it about horror what is it about spooky scary stuff that makes it so fascinating 
For mm. many people, Halloween, October is their unabashed favorite time of the year. And it's certainly one of my favorite times of the year. There are many people that only watch horror movies or only play scary games or only read horror books or what have you that only do that stuff in October. It's it's become much more than a holiday. It's an entire basically season. October is essentially that it's it's almost like it's designated for all the horror stuff that you avoid throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is for me. I mean, I don't know about you, but it, it basically October has sort of become just like you said, the the month where I really ingratiate myself. I mean, I always like a good horror movie, I always like a good horror game, but October just seems like that month where I really like go in and this is where I really ingratiate myself into the whole horror world. Yeah, I'm very much the same. I'm not against, I, I'm a big fan of horror genre when it comes to movies, television, video games, but there is just something about October, something about Halloween season that, you know, you say, uh, I should watch something. You know what? No, I'm going to go rewatch the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Oh, you know what? I should play this game. It's like, no, this amazing horror game just came out on the Switch. We're going to check that out instead. So, but just just horror. One of the things that's always fascinated me about the entire concept of horror in general is how lucky we are as a species, basically, that we have to seek out scares, that we have to seek out things that horrify us like this. It's right. It's essentially elective for the vast majority of human beings. We are so blessed in sitting atop the food chain. I mean, for the vast majority of us, we we live our lives with virtually no danger to ourselves whatsoever. So to get any type of rise, to get any type of adrenaline flowing for us, we have to seek out horror movies and horror media and horror video games and the like. It's... <laughs> Like, if you're a wildebeest on the Serengeti, your life is scary enough. Right. (laughs) I mean, just about if you're anything other than a human, your life is scary enough. And even for a lot of humans, their life is scary enough. But for so many of us, we choose to let ourselves be scared. We put ourselves into a position where we allow ourselves to be terrified. And the fact that it has to be and can be even manufactured the fact that something like fear can be actually derived from somebody as something intentional you know people who make these amazing horror movies or horror games actually have reverse engineered what makes something scary and are able to give that to us i find that very interesting oh yeah it's it's very much a commentary on us as humans in most cases It's, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of things you can't control. I mean, that's one of the reasons that uh, Jaws was so scary, despite the fact that all you had to do was not go in the water. Well, unless he comes and eats half your shit. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But fear of the darkness, because you don't know what's lurking out there. Again, fear of the unknown, fear of the things you can't control. And then you tap into, you can tap into individual fears. Obviously, arachnophobia is a big one in most media. You know, ghosts, werewolves, movie monsters, what have you. They're all very popular. But I think it's its its always the, the primal 
fears, the real deep-seated fears that have always interested me the most. That was one of the things that I think detention really captured in me. There was just mm. something really deep that that detention really hit inside me when I was playing it. Because like we said during our Indie Showcase a few weeks ago, that game is terrifying. But just the entire concept of horror, the entire industry, really, of horror, I just find so incredibly fascinating from top to bottom. And I mean, it's it's perfect time to celebrate it. Perfect time to celebrate it. Spend an entire month, you know, play your favorite horror games, play your favorite spooky movies, and just enjoy, you know, the controlled environment of of the horror genre. Yeah, and, and just like you said, I know many people in my personal life, like my cousin Ethan, shout out to Ethan. Hi, Ethan, if you, for some reason, you're listening to this, uh, is like very into the whole horror thing. That is his, just a part of his life, you know, just like how Nintendo is for us, horror is part of his day-to-day life. He's constantly going to horror conventions. The man's on a first-name basis with Robert England. Huh. You know, I mean, just constantly going to horror conventions. It's just a big thing for him. It is his fandom. It is his lifestyle. But then there are folks like us who only kind of, you know, not only, but, but you know, for the vast majority of October celebrate it. I find another thing that's interesting. We talk about horror movies, talk about horror games, talk about the nature of it. Um, I've got a quote here from John Carpenter, you know, legendary horror director, John Carpenter. Of course. He says, horror is a reaction. It's not a genre. And he, but he kind of, if you watch interviews with John Carpenter, he kind of like boils that down where he's like, a lot of people ask him about the nature of his craft and the, you know, the distilled, like what makes horror? What, like, how do you make this kind of thing? And he's just like, (laughs) he's like, something just is or it isn't scary. Like it's not, he doesn't overthink it or anything like that. And another kind of interesting thing about John Carpenter specifically is he's a huge advocate for video games. He's a big Mm -hmm. video game fan. And we've seen um, John Carpenter be a video game fan. Clive Barker has even made some video games. Clive Barker's Jericho. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I find that really interesting. It seems to me like a lot of people who are, in the world of horror movies are also fans of horror video games because it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. As long as you're getting the scares, I think they appreciate that video games are just another delivery method of scares. Well, this might, this might just be me and my biased opinion, but I would honestly argue, I really would. I would honestly argue that horror, that the average horror piece of media is more effective as a video game. Well, you're going through it yourself. Exactly. Yeah, you're directly influencing, controlling the action, and as a result, the things happening are happening to to quote-unquote you, right? Exactly. If so. you're reading a horror book, like a Stephen King book, you can read it at your own pace. You're more than likely not going to read that entire book in a single sitting. So you can stop, you can go back to it, and... You, you know, just because it's words on a page, you're so far removed from mm. what's going on inside of the story that, it, you know, it has to be insanely well written for for the actual horror to to come through in terms of a book. When it comes to movies, however, 
because movies are visual and they're auditory. You can have these audio cues. You can have specific. Uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of people mess with the audio in movies and just the little screeching sound effects. And it plays such a huge role. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you if you have a movie that like terrifies you, right? Watch your watch the scariest scene of that movie muted. And all of a sudden it's not very scary. You know, so you've got the music, which also heightens. You've also got the fact that unlike books, movies, you're typically going to watch. I don't know too many movies that you're going to only watch halfway through and then turn off and then come back to it later, especially when it comes Mm. to horror movies. You typically watch it start to finish and the movie makers, they control the pace of the movie. You know, right. If you're reading a book, you can skip a few lines. You can be like, okay, they're going to, they're going to build suspense a little bit. Let me just kind of skip down a paragraph or two in movies. You can't do that. You basically got to wait until the filmmaker essentially lets you go when it comes to building up tension, when it comes to scares and payoffs and stuff like that. So films when they're done correctly are far more effective than books, but video games, but video games. When you are in control, it takes things to a whole new level. Yeah, I think that, honestly, I think that the two genres that are probably the most interesting when handled through the lens of a video game are horror and comedy. And that's because I think horror and comedy are both very, very intrinsically linked when it comes to the way that they, you know, they they both manifest in our brains. Um, There are... Very, you know, horror and comedy have a lot alike, I think, in that way. And I think that video games accentuate both. So I'll give you two examples of both of these. In Dead Space, I think two, there's a moment. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's played, I guess, spoiler alert for a game from like 2009. Uh, there's a moment where in Dead Space 2, you have to, for one reason or another, stick this huge needle in your eye. Mm-hmm. There's, it's like this machine, and you, the player, have to slowly work that needle into Isaac's eye, and Isaac is screaming, and there's blood. It's awful. Horrifying scene. Yeah. But if you were to just watch that, that would be one thing. But the fact that they make you actually be the one moving the stick, driving the needle into your eye, having to hold Isaac's eyeball still and get right there in the center, it's just, oh, it's like gut-wrenching. And then, like... On the flip side of that, when I'm talking about comedy, the Borderlands 2 side quest, shoot me in the face, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a perfect example of something that the comedy of that scene is entirely in the player's control, where you see all the side objectives pop in, where it's like, not in the arm, not in the leg, you know, (laughs) that's all the comedy's left in the player's hands. So these are like two genres where... I think video games accentuate their very nature because of player control, which I find really interesting. I think one of the best examples of how video games is more effective when it comes to horror is Five Nights at Freddy's. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the the concept of the game is incredibly simple. You're essentially just trying to hold off bad guys for you know a, a short while. You basically just need to last until 6 a.m. And the the terror comes from the stress of getting closer and closer and closer and trying not to fail. And that tension 
keeps building the closer you get. And then when you fail, obviously, you you get shocked out of your seat by this huge jump scare. It's trying not to get that. It's trying not to have that happen to you. And the thought that it doesn't have to happen to you. Maybe it won't happen to you. Maybe you've done well enough this time. You're not going to have to deal with that. And then, oh my God, what in the world? Right, right. Well, and it's also the feeling of powerlessness, I think is also really important because you know, if you're a walking tank and you can just take care of anything, if you're playing Five Nights at Freddy's and there's a way to like, you know, when when they run into the security room, if you just have like a shotgun, all of a sudden you're not that scared, right? Yeah. But, you know, when you take a game like Detention where you, you have these encounters and there's just nothing you can do. And if you don't do the correct thing, you will die. I think powerlessness plays a big role in effective horror. Uh, and obviously a lot of horror games in recent years, a lot of the most popular horror games in recent years, you really don't have any defense against the bad guys. You're just trying to run and hide. I think Outlast uh, is a perfect mm-hmm. example of that. And a game called Alien Isolation is a perfect example of that. And I think there's there's a the combination of powerlessness and expectation there's a famous quote expectation is the is the enemy of comedy or horror or whatever that that that's sort of also true in video games where like if you go back and replay your favorite horror games maybe you can still get a sense of a sense of fear that you wouldn't get from rewatching your favorite horror movie like i love horror movies like something like let's say the shining right yeah there's some moments in the shining or whatever that are like scary tense whatever but once i've seen that movie i probably literally seen that movie 50 times in my life and once i've seen it so many times you know each time it gets a little less scary video games however have a little bit more of an inclination to still get that tension out of you because again it's you in that situation in a way you feel that connection and there's i think a little bit more room for like things to not go exactly the same way each time because of the more random nature of video games. And I find that really interesting too. And it just strengthens, I think your argument that video games are maybe, maybe the most effective medium for horror. I was talking a little bit earlier about a lot of horror coming from the unknown. And when you read a book, when you watch a movie, you know it after you've experienced it. After you've read the book, after you've watched the movie, you know, that piece of media, you know what's going to come. It's not going to scare you anymore because you know it's coming. So, especially in recent years, the way video games have really gotten more complicated and really gotten more in-depth in terms of artificial intelligence, in terms of NPC patterns, and in terms of especially the the rise of the roguelike genre. It blows my mind that there's not more roguelike horror games because that is a genre that is begging for some standout horror games. Sure. Yeah. I could totally see that. But but that's where that's one of the reasons that I love video games and I find them so fascinating in so many different genres. And that's why they're going to continue to be so effective as pieces of horror media. I think once they tap even more into roguelike elements for horror, once we have a little bit more technological progression, you are going to see some games that, you know, 
you could play a hundred times over and it'll still scare the pants off of you just because you will still be getting a new experience every time. You know somebody's out to get you, but you're going to have no idea where they're coming from, what they're capable of. Uh, that's one of the reasons that games like Friday the 13th, the game and Death by Daylight have been so wildly popular is because it doesn't even work by based off of an AI system. You're essentially facing another person with human intelligence. Right, right. Well, you, and you know, to, to sort of like shift the gear and, and shine the spotlight on Nintendo, I find it really interesting that there is no, I mean, of course, we've had like Fatal Frame on the Wii U and stuff. It was a Wii exclusive and stuff like that. But Nintendo's never really had any sort of dedicated horror game. Do you think that this is something that is sort of underserved? Do you think that Nintendo even like cares to have any sort of horror game representation? Or do you think they're more willing to just kind of leave it up to third parties? I mean, I point to games like Eternal Darkness of course. on GameCube. Of course. Of course, which is really, really special game and stuff like that. But it's, these are exclusive games to Nintendo's platform. But Nintendo's never really tapped into it themselves. And I find that interesting. Well, obviously, with Nintendo being a very kid-friendly company, you would think what type of horror media would they create? And some of the first things I think about when I think of kid-friendly horror media are the Leica movies. Coraline, Paranorman, stuff like that. And then you also have, you know more movies that do lean movies and books that do lean a little bit further into the horror, like scary stories to tell in the dark, the books and the movie adaptation, which I thought the movie adaptation was actually really good. It was really good. Yeah. I was so, I was so shocked by that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But when you look at children's horror media uh, with again, Coraline, Paranorman, stuff like that, that's not really too far flung from, Luigi's side hustle. Mm, mm-hmm. So I, I I would bet you that Nintendo has talked about it. I would bet you that there might've even been some pitches, but we have seen kind of horror, not necessarily horror, but we obviously have seen spooky elements crop up in Nintendo games. And we've talked about that in previous weeks. Obviously we did an entire retrospective on an incredibly spooky game, relatively speaking. Uh, from the Zelda franchise in Majora's Mask. And then we have, you know, ghosts and booze that show up in Mario all the time. And then, you know, things like Lavender Town from the Pokemon franchise. So those elements do kind of bleed in to Nintendo games, but I would certainly love for them to step a little bit further into horror. It would be really, really hard to see where they could go from Luigi's Mansion, but still make it kind of kid-friendly, because I think that they would want to. I don't think that Nintendo's going to start producing an entire franchise of mature horror games. Uh, Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem was a very unique case, and even calling that a horror game, it was kind of, it's much more a psychological thriller Right, sure. But even then, it's much more of a, hey, how much can we mess with the player? Uh, And if you've never played Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem, it is easily one of the most uniquely trippy games of all time. It's the entire purpose behind the game is to mess with you, the player. 
Yeah, it, it, there, there's literally like a uh, <laughs> a sanity level, and the game, you know, uh, acts accordingly without spoiling too much. But yeah, I, I just I find it interesting that you know Nintendo has shown us that they are willing to take, you know, I point to something like Splatoon where it's like this is sort of Nintendo's take on a competitive multiplayer shooter, where you know. Yeah, you're not going to have like some photorealistic Call of Duty style shooter on Nintendo or whatever, um, at least not made by Nintendo. But they've got this where it's like, OK, this actually is a pretty you know fast paced or can be a pretty fast paced skill based competitive shooter with Nintendo's sort of coat of paint, Nintendo's kind of unique design philosophies around it. And I just I just feel like that's something that could be really ripe on the vine for them is like seeing what Nintendo could do to the horror genre, their sort of take on it. And I guess the argument could be made that Luigi's Mansion is that, but I don't know. Like, I I feel like it's almost... Luigi's Mansion's kind of doing its own thing, and yeah, of course, like, there's the whole Halloween theming. It's very much a, you know, it, it very much is kind of, like, sitting in that pocket comfortably. But I would just really like to see Nintendo take on something. Like, I think Five Nights at Freddy's is a good example even though that is more like photorealistic, more um, especially as the series goes on, it gets like more and more disturbing in a way that I don't think Nintendo would be about. Yeah. <laughs> but that's an example of something that like, isn't necessarily the standard sort of gameplay that you would see in a horror game. You know, I, I'm not expecting Nintendo to make like resident evil, but it'd be cool to see Nintendo take on something a little more, a little more like squarely in the horror genre versus just, Hey, this is Luigi in a mansion with ghosts. <laughs> well, I think there would certainly be an audience for it just based on the sheer number of Nintendo creepy pastas out there. The, the idea of putting those types of characters into horror scenarios is kind of oddly captivating. Yeah. So yeah, there is something about that. I think that, I think that just strengthens it too. You know, like we, we are creating Nintendo creepypastas, you know, people online because it like, because it literally seems like, like you take these sort of like the facet of Nintendo and everything that Nintendo sort of represents and the purchase that Nintendo has in our minds and horror almost seems like the antithesis of that. And I think that'd be really interesting to see Nintendo play with themselves. I don't know if that's ever going to happen specifically with their established characters because if if, if right, Nintendo yeah. does one thing, it is constantly proved that they are very protective of their IPs. If Nintendo was ever going to think about doing something like that, it would be with a new IP. I think so, too. I mean, they could yeah. do something like what they did with uh, Fatal Frame. You could throw, uh, <laughs> bizarrely, you could throw Nintendo costumes into the game as unlockables. But... Uh, in terms of actually putting their established characters into situations like that, as interesting, as incredibly interesting as that would be, and I think a lot of people would buy it, Nintendo wouldn't do that. If they were going to try to go further down the horror rabbit hole than Luigi is currently going, then it would certainly be a new IP. Now, I'm all for more horror IPs anyway, especially we've already talked about Dead Space 2, especially with the closing of Visceral Studios, which means no more Dead Space. Not from them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it is nice to see Capcom kind of getting back on track with the Resident Evil franchise, with Resident Evil 2 remake and Resident Evil 3 remake and Resident Evil 7. 
seems like that series has kind of hit a renaissance. I have no clue what in the world Konami is doing with Silent Hill right now, but there are a lot of really good horror indie games coming out, many of which we've featured in the past month. So I don't know that that might be the future of video game horror. I mean, look at something like Among Us, right? Which isn't necessarily a horror game. It's not like, you know, it's it's not a horror game, but there are moments in that where, like, if somebody kills you in Among Us, you don't know, you know, if for those that somehow don't know, if you're somehow not familiar with Among Us, essentially the setup is it's it's you and a group of people on, on a, I guess, space engineers on a spaceship or whatever. Um, some of you are going to be, like, alien imposters, in that group and you don't know who they are and you could just randomly get killed very much a jump scare kind of thing. And the whole conceit of the game is then you, you try to figure out who the imposters are. The point is though, is that this is a game that is very like, it does not have to be a, you know, hardcore photo reel dripping with horror horror game, but it could be something like that, that yeah, a new IP that Nintendo could make. I, I think that would be really interesting. Things like among us, Five Nights at Freddy's really make me think like I could really see Nintendo doing something like this with a new horror IP and and sort of, you know, not making a traditional horror game, kind of making a Nintendo horror game. And I'd certainly be down for that. Among Us is, I mean, it, as cartoonish as it is visually, Among Us is directly based off of John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. So right. The, the gameplay is very much kind of like an ultimate werewolf setup. If anybody's ever played that game it's not really a video game it's more of a conversation game uh, ultimate werewolf in- incredibly unique game uh very very if if you're having a halloween party tonight definitely break out ultimate werewolf it's a fantastic party game for halloween but oh yeah but among us is very much in kind of that vein of the horror and the unknown comes from not being able to trust people that you typically do trust and exactly i don't i could see nintendo doing something with that concept because of course as we've mentioned many times on the show nintendo does have a very unique design philosophy when they decided to make a an online multiplayer shooter they made a game like splatoon when they decided to make a fighting game they made something like smash brothers and then they decided to make another fighting game and they made arms so whenever they try to tackle a genre, they do so with incredibly unique titles, which is one of the reasons I would love to see Nintendo do a real horror style game because it would be so exactly. incredibly unique. Yep, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. I, I would just I would love to see them tackle the horror genre properly, not just Luigi's Mansion. Much as I love Luigi's Mansion. Yeah. Um you know, Doug Bowser, I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> and Luigi's Mansion does scratch an itch and it is very spooky throughout, but it's very playfully so. And it, it's mm-hmm. a fantastic game, but uh, obviously not all of Nintendo's fans are waiting to get their driver's licenses still. <laughs> uh, and uh, it would it would certainly be it would certainly be really, really interesting to see Nintendo mature their their game development a little bit but what about you guys do you guys live the horror lifestyle year round do you only get into the spooky content in october or do you stay as far away from anything remotely scary as you possibly can so do reach out to us on facebook and twitter and tell us 
Now, we've certainly talked a lot about horror in media. I think it's time for us to get to one of those pieces of horror media right now. Guys, about a week ago, October 23rd, a game called Pumpkin Jack released on the Nintendo eShop. And Seth, you and I thought, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that that's interesting. And it was uh, kind of perfect. And it basically shot straight to the top of uh, what we needed to cover for a spooky indie showcase. <laughs> Yeah, we tried it, we really enjoyed it, and we really thought we'd have to tell you guys about it in our final Halloween Spooky Indie Showcase. So, Pumpkin Jack is a very Halloween-themed 3D platformer coming to us from Head Up Games and developer Nicolas, I believe it's pronounced, Missonnier. Yes, yes, French indie developers solo developed this game. Exactly. Yeah. A 3D platformer made basically by one person, uh, which is incredibly impressive in its own right. But to have the game come out and be as enjoyable as it was, I think, is a pretty staggering accomplishment. It's hard enough to solo develop any type of game, much less, you know, a 3D platformer, a game with full 3D assets and environments. So props to you, Nicholas. Yeah, no. And and. I mean, full transparency, I really, really like this game a lot. It's, it scratches like such a nostalgic sort of like character action platformer itch from like the PS2 era. Like it's almost got this, you know, the, the game that instantly came to mind for me was Medieval. It really has that vibe. Yeah, the game, both aesthetically and mechanically, feels like a direct throwback, a love letter, if you will, to the late 90s, early 2000s era of platformers. Like you said, games like Medieval, even though Medieval is not really necessarily a platformer, but like a lot right. of those B-grade, those 3D B-grade platformers that were coming out around that time, it feels very, very much like them. I also kind of got some, honestly, some... some gauntlet dark legacy vibes a little bit from playing this game and a little bit of nightmare before christmas vibes there's there's a lot to take away from this game in terms of in terms of inspiration but to get into it (laughs) the setup for pumpkin jack is kind of nuts but i love it the setup is the world is very nice and fun and cheerful and boring, apparently. I was going to say, and boring. And boring. <laughs> so the devil, yes, the devil, decided to make things interesting by having all of his denizens, all of his minions run amok. And the champion of the humans, this wizard, was set forth to stop the nefarious the devil and put an end to all the bad stuff that was going on. And it turns out that Jack, the main character, the one you play as, you are actually the champion of the devil. (laughs) You are not the good guy in this game. You are the one who is set forth to stop the human's champion from bringing peace and order back to the world. Your, your, Your goal, essentially, in Pumpkin Jack is to ensure the destruction of the earth. And I think that is so wonderfully tongue in cheek. Oh no. Yeah, it totally is. And they play with that. The game's got a very sort of humorous bent to it. It's very, it knows exactly what it's doing. You know, it's very almost revels in the sort of like, you are the bad guy, you know, in this story. 
And yes, we that. have covered we have covered some legitimately scary, some legitimately terrifying games during this past month in the indie showcase. This is not one of them. Uh, no. This is, I mean, in several places, it's a straight up comedy, uh, and you know, fourth wall breaking stuff, incredibly tongue in cheek, does not take itself seriously whatsoever just a fun you know it goes out of its way to be fun essentially in both the gameplay and kind of the character interactions yeah yeah and there there is a lot of fourth wall breaking and stuff and uh, it's not too heavy-handed with it i think there's just a there's a certain tone a certain light-hearted kind of fun tone to this that that i think this game strikes really really perfectly while still maintaining strong halloween vibes Visual touchstones again, like medieval. Uh, visually, it also like kind of reminded me a lot of like World of Warcraft. Visually, just kind of, I can see that. Yeah, just like artistic simplicity, but still really beautiful in its own way. This game is just extremely charming. Yeah, it's not a visual powerhouse like a lot of like it's no. it doesn't have like Nether Realm Studios level of polish when it comes to character models. It doesn't have you know, a, a, a massive triple A budget behind it, obviously. However, it does, it is very evocative again of those late nineties, early two thousands games. And if you're nostalgic, like we are, the visuals while not necessarily quote unquote impressive. The, the evocativeness of the visuals should, should feel very familiar and almost comfortable to many players. And again, we're saying words comfortable and lighthearted in regards to a game where you're essentially dooming the world, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, you can kind of, again, it's very tongue in cheek, though. Very like, you know, think like Fable or Overlord, you know, that that sort of that sort of comedic bent to it all. It's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's called Pumpkin Jack because your character is Pumpkin Jack in life. He was called Stingy Jack, apparently. However, in death, he has been given kind of a new lease on life, so to speak. The soul of Stingy Jack has been trapped inside of a jack-o'-lantern. And this jack-o'-lantern is essentially piloting a, a headless human body. Yeah, and the whole basic conceit of it is that, like, uh, he he's... Essentially trying to like earn back, isn't the conceit that he's trying to like earn back his soul from the devil, basically? Essentially something just so he's not running around the underworld being tortured yeah. for all of eternity. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's that sort of thing, you know? It's just enough to set it up. But yeah, the, the moment-to-moment gameplay of this game, though, is again, it's, it's a character action platform where there is a lot of jumping, you know, Jack's basic abilities... You will be running, you will be jumping, but there's also combat. And and it's got this kind of like very simplistic mix of elements. And and I think the important thing is that they all feel good. Everything in this game feels good. Yeah, mix I think is the best way to put it because no aspect of this game is the do they really go too in-depth on, but there's right. enough there to make it all interesting. Obviously, you will be jumping. I, I, <laughs> I do want to make this point that Jack has the classic B-grade platformer double jump. Yeah. But, and this is something I told you. It doesn't necessarily feel so much like a jump as is as it is he has an invisible jetpack on or something. And every time you hit the jump button, it instead, you know, does this like little burst of air to propel you upwards right. a little bit. 
it does kind of feel a little interesting, but you've got the platforming, like you said, you've got the combat, like you said, you'll wind up getting a couple different weapons throughout the course of the game. And it does help change things up a bit. There's no skill tree where you can learn different combos or anything like that. The, the combat is not necessarily a focus of the game. It's more or less there just to add to the mix, to be thrown in to the candy bowl, essentially, with the rest of the other elements in the game. You're not going to worry so much. You won't be spending hours in menus trying to upgrade abilities or try to use points from leveling up. It's just another, you know, again, it, the aspect of the game is there and there's enough put into it to make it interesting but it's not something that you're you're going to slave hours and hours over to try to perfect your character from a combat perspective. Yeah, I sort of do wish there was a little bit more depth to the combat because what's interesting is there are certain things that you can do. Like you can do mid-air attacks that change up your combat pattern a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I didn't want it to get like super duper in depth. Like another game that came out on Nintendo Switch recently that was very much in this same genre was the actually the Samurai Jack game, Battle Through Time, uh. very much in this same genre. And the difference is Samurai Jack had a very in-depth skill tree, almost overwhelmingly so. I didn't really want that necessarily from Pumpkin Jack, but I could have done with just a little bit more depth. I really hope, and we'll talk about this later, but I, I really do hope that he makes a sequel where they just go at just a little, just a nudge deeper with the combat because I did enjoy it. I did too. One thing, one little wrinkle they did add to the combat, which I thought was pretty interesting is it's not just Jack going on this quest to help doom right. the world. He does have a couple so-called compatriots. He does have a couple companions and one of them is a cowardly crow that you will meet very early on in the game, who is also pretty funny when it comes to dialogue. But the crow does actually help you. The crow serves as a projectile attack in the game. So you've got your weapon, whichever one you choose to attack with. And then you have this crow who can, you know, every so often zoom out and perform an immediate projectile attack. So you've got, uh, say you're, you're banging on a couple skeletons or a couple evil plague rats. And then somebody's coming up from you from behind. You can send the crow out, you know, if you're lined up correctly, you can send the crow out to hit the person behind you to stun them real quick and then maybe dodge out of the way. So there is a semblance of depth to the combat of the game. But yeah, just like you said, I would certainly like to see it. If they do make a pumpkin jack too, there is more than enough room to expand on that. Yeah, just a nudge. I don't need much, but you know, like there's a lot of actually really cool enemy variety here. And, and there are some combat situations where utilizing all of Jack's tools like the crow. It's, it's really kind of interesting. And I just a little bit more would have been nice, but that's not to say that it's not perfectly enjoyable uh, to get touch on the actual platforming. Like you said, um, the jumping to me, the movement and the jumping, the speed of Jack, the jump height and all that feels really good, which is really important for a platformer. But yes, his double jump does feel like he just gets a little secondary burst of air. But I will say you can get a lot of distance with Jack and his jump in this game. Like I can't wait to watch speed runs of this game. <laughs> That's true. That's true. This game. I really hope I would honestly speed run this game to be completely honest with you. It's yeah, it's not yeah. super long. It is very, 
you know, it's not short either. I think it's a good length. You have six main worlds that you have to go through. And each one past the first one, I think will take you about an hour on the first playthrough. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah, six stages. Uh, each one probably, yeah, 45 minutes, an hour each one, I would say, beyond the first one. Um, you've got 20 collectible crow skulls and a collectible, was it a gramophone that, yeah. <laughs> that you can find in each stage? Now, the crow skulls uh, do serve to, they, they serve as the game's currency, essentially. There are 20 per stage, 120 in total, and you will have the option of buying different skins in the game to equip on Jack. And, you know, I, I'm a huge sucker for extra costumes for extra skins. Oh yeah. But (laughs) I did want to make a point of saying that the way they're handled in this game, I thought was really, really clever because when we say skins as gamers, we're talking about costumes or color patterns. Yes. In pumpkin Jack, they literally mean skins and one of the really clever things again i think they do in the game is they describe the costumes and the skins that you can get in the game as being actual skins from other deceased people well yeah they basically have a grave digger sort of character that you quote unquote buy the skins from who essentially is digging up other bodies for you to attach your head to (laughs) (laughs) i just think that's great because that Jack was super even, clever. Yeah, Jack even says, like, what do you mean skins? It's like, oh, it's it's actual human skin. These are other human bodies that you can inhabit with your little creepy soul pumping head. <laughs> so good. It, it is really good. Uh, to go back to the mix in terms of gameplay, though, it's not just running, jumping, and combat. One of the things that I think makes this game really, really good is the variety. Yes. Because there are several other things that you will do throughout the course of any given stage. While there's a decent amount of variety in terms of the the level design, which I think the level design in this game is really, really strong. Yeah, it is. You, the many different locales, the way everything is laid out. It, it feels, it is linear, but it doesn't necessarily feel linear. It, the, yeah, level design is really good. Yeah, and in each level, in addition to the platforming, in addition to the combat, there are several different other types of scripted scenarios that you will encounter. Like we said, Jack is essentially a pumpkin who is piloting, essentially, a a headless human body. You can actually exit your human body for a few scripted sequences. There are several times in each stage where you will just be playing as the head of Pumpkin Jack, as just the pumpkin with these weird, creepy green octopus legs attached to the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's almost, it calls to mind like the Clank sections in Ratchet and Clank, where yeah. you have these little kind of brief moments where you're kind of detaching from the main gameplay and doing a little side thing to, you know, in this game in particular, unlock basically the next area for Jack to explore properly. And it's, it, they're, they're all, I thought, really fun and clever little mini puzzles to really shake up the moment-to-moment gameplay. You're not really ever doing the same thing for too long. No, no. Each stage keeps it pretty unique. And a lot of them, these aren't necessarily things that you can fail. You'll never lose an actual life doing any of these. 
but the the variety I think is nice. You may be playing a matching game, or you may be doing an incredibly entertaining mini boss style fight, or you may be playing a whack a mole style game. But there's a lot of variety to be had, even within this you know layer of variety with the the pumpkin octopus head sections. And in addition to even those, each stage has multiple sections where I guess we'll just call them race or movement sections. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like um, you could almost think of it as like minecart sections in Donkey Kong or something. Um, kind of. Yeah. One of them actually is a minecart section. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. It's, it's basically, yeah. Obstacle based on rails movement sections. Yeah. And each level will have a different version of that with their own mechanics as well. So the minecart level will control slightly differently than the other ones. And when you throw all of these different mechanics, again, the way they all control differently in each stage as well, on top of the decent level design and the, you know, halfway decent combat and the decent platforming and all this, all of these different, all this variety into the game. When you throw all of that into this big candy bowl, it all tastes very sweet together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I just, the game really fired on just about every cylinder for me. Um, it's also worth mentioning that just about, if not every level, uh, concludes in a boss battle that I thought were all really fun. I, I thought they were all you know, really enjoyable, well-designed boss fights. They're not too hard, not too easy. The game in general is not very hard, but it's also not just like brain dead easy. I, I just think the game just does a really good job of balancing itself in almost all of its aspects. I do. When I got to the end of the first stage, I did think the first world felt a little underwhelming. And then I realized, oh, that's basically just kind of the tutorial world. Because right. the, the, all the last levels in the game expand on everything very quickly and very well. So the, the, the first boss and the first world I thought were, you know, again, a little underwhelming. But after that, once you realize the mechanics of the game, then everything expands and everything just gets so much more mo better, as, you know, we say in Louisiana. <laughs> That's fair. But... <laughs> But yeah, I did like the boss fights. One of the things I do like about the boss fights as well is that they're all kind of built up a little bit throughout the course of the stage. You don't just get to the end and there's some nameless, faceless boss there. In most right. cases, there is a little bit of a buildup to the boss. You hear about them beforehand in a couple cases. You even meet them a couple times before you fight them throughout the course of the stage. Or uh, you go on this mission where you've got to, without spoiling anything... You have to do X of one thing, and it's very obvious what the different elements of X are. And then when you get to the final element of that, that's right. an actual boss fight. And I thought that was really well handled. If you guys play the game, you'll definitely know what I'm talking about. But I thought, and I thought that was a really well designed boss fight as well. Yeah, they're they're all really good. Now, I mean, one thing that we do, I think, need to talk about. Speaking of boss fights. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's time. I think it's time to mention, you know, if there is a, a fairly glaring flaw. Now, this has since been patched, but there was, at the time that you and I played this game, at the time of release, there was a game-breaking bug in the Switch version of the game that 
basically completely blocked progress leading into the final boss fight. Nothing you could do about it. It was just a purple screen, basically. Yeah, I had flashbacks, essentially, back to Prince of Persia, Warrior Within, because I had another similar game-breaking bug with Prince of Persia, where the portal that was supposed to take me to the final boss fight didn't work as well. Uh, Again, like you said, this has since been patched out, and apparently, according to the dev, this was a patch that was submitted prior to the game even releasing. Presumably, it was supposed to be a day one patch, but I guess for whatever reason, the approval process or whatever process Nintendo goes through to get those uploaded took a, a few days. So yeah, it, it did take you and I a few days of waiting on that patch before we were able to complete the game. Yeah, so the game's still totally recommendable. And again, that issue has been patched out. So if you play the game now after listening to us talk about it, you're not going to encounter that bug. Um, however, it, it just we had to mention it because it really did sour our experience. Like for me, I actually had a day where I was able to just play through the game in one big chunk. And if that bug didn't exist, I would have played through it in one just really great playthrough sitting. But because of that bug, it just basically halted me in my tracks for a couple of days. And it was a huge bummer. But like we said, uh, has been patched out. So, you know, obviously we wouldn't be having it in our indie showcase if it was a game that you literally could not complete. Right. So, but yeah, now we've been able to play back through the entire game. Uh, We've been able to fight the final boss. Fun fight too. Yeah, it is. It it was a pretty interesting fight. Not a terribly difficult fight necessarily. No. And I think that's another thing to bring up about the game is this isn't going to be an overly difficult game for, I think, many people. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no actual difficulty setting in the game. Uh, You'll probably die a few times. And the game will let you know. <laughs> yeah, the game. <laughs> when you die, the the game actually has some different flavor text. It could say something, you know, if you had a penny for every time you die, you'd have, you know, X right. pennies. Or Jack's mission has failed X number of times. Or Boo, the world has been saved X number of times. So when you die, there is some fun little flavor text there. The checkpoint system, in addition to not being terribly difficult, the checkpoint system is also fairly lenient. There are a lot of checkpoints you'll come across throughout the course of the game where you can refill your health, but there are even kind of hidden checkpoints beyond that. There will be many times if you die, you'll find yourself coming back to a sequence just you know a minute prior to where you were, not even to the last actual quote-unquote checkpoint that you visited. So. In addition to the obvious checkpoints, there are a few also kind of invisible checkpoints you'll hit throughout the course of the game. So you should never lose more than a few minutes worth of playtime. Yeah, I mean, it was never like brain dead easy, but it also never frustrated me, which I think is really important for a game like this. And I do think that difficulty mixed with how easily playable the game is. And the fact that you are not going to be spending hours in menus, like I said, doing skill trees or leveling up abilities or whatever, that plus the variety, constantly doing something new, constantly going to different sections, I think that 
I think the strongest aspect of this game, because of all that, winds up being the pacing. Again, you're never really doing the same thing for long, and it just has a really brisk, breezy pace. It just has a fun tone. It's just... I really just liked it. I, I really don't have any glaring complaints aside from the bug that's now been patched. <laughs> and even the the soundtrack I thought was interesting because there are some yeah. really good, really well-made original tracks in this game, but there are also, uh, if you're aware of some classical music, right? there are a few very interesting takes on a few classical musical tracks. Uh, I heard Flight of the Valkyries in there. I heard a few uh, very obvious classical music tracks in there as well that I think were Halloween-ized, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, it's almost like you just put that sort of like uh, pumpkin jack layer over it. Like it it has, everything's got this sort of spooky, again, very evocative of something like medieval, very evocative of like a kind of creepy, but still kind of bouncy, you know, almost Grant Kirkhope-esque soundtrack. Um, it's, you know, it totally gets the job done. I, I wouldn't say that I had any, like, standout tracks throughout the game, um, save for, like you said, the kind of nods and, and covers of, like, classic uh, tracks like Flight of the Valkyries and what have you. But, um, but I, it totally nails the vibe. It totally does everything that this game sets out to do. I, I, you know, including the music, I think it does, you know, really well. Yeah, the best way I think you can describe the entire soundtrack throughout the course of the game is if you could take classical music and put it through a Halloween Instagram filter. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's honestly probably the best way I can describe the music in the game, but it very, very much helps set the tone for the entire game. Not overly spooky, not overly atmospheric, kind of bouncy, but also, yes, very Halloween-esque. And that's kind of a perfect way to describe the game in general. Honestly, and I mean this without hyperbole, this game kind of almost feels like it could become the hocus pocus of Halloween video games. and. By that, I mean, when Hocus Pocus came out, you know, 20, 30 some odd years ago now, it's, man, you and I are getting old, buddy. Oh, but, my goodness. But it's become this Halloween favorite, this relative, uh, this relatively unassuming, kid-friendly Halloween movie that has become this absolute stone-cold classic now. And I could almost kind of see that happening with Pumpkin Jack. I... Honestly, I don't really have a tradition in the world of video games necessarily, but this mm-hmm. is a game I could very easily see myself coming back to each Halloween, just to play through each Halloween. It's accessible. It's got a great pace. It's not overly long. Uh, I could very, very easily see this becoming like Hocus Pocus, almost like a Halloween tradition for me. I just, it's not amazing. But it, like you said earlier, just scratches that itch. This game has Halloween in its very DNA. I really cannot point to another game where you can just have this quick, breezy, well-paced experience that will just immediately put you in the Halloween mood. And and yeah, I think because of that, that is why, just like you said, I think it could totally become a new annual halloween tradition it's pumpkin jack is just the perfect thing it just hits all the right notes 
And keep in mind, there have been a couple of Nightmare Before Christmas games released on Nintendo consoles. And even more so than that, we think this is a more Halloween game than that is. But that was how we felt about Head Up's new game, Pumpkin Jack. What about you guys? What do you guys think of this new contender to be a Halloween classic? Uh, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we played Pumpkin Jack, and we thought to ourselves, this is an absolutely perfect game to ring in Halloween with, to be playing for all Hallow's Eve. And it got us thinking, what are the other most perfect Switch games to be playing for the big night? And we put our heads together, and we thought that we would count down the best Halloween games on the Nintendo Switch for 2020 in this week's Top 5. Yes, we've already talked so, so much about the horror genre in general. We have spent an entire month bringing you guys spooky indie showcases, recommending incredible spooky season-themed games for you guys. But now, we figured we would try to help you guys ring in the Halloween holiday, help you guys celebrate it correctly, by bringing you the top five games you should be playing for Halloween 2020. Yes, we have had a blast during the month of October talking about spooky games, big and small. But the night is finally here, folks. And there are plenty of great games to spend your Halloween with on the Nintendo Switch. So let's get into it. To kick off the list of the top five games that you should definitely be playing for Halloween 2020, number five on our list is actually Pumpkin Jack. Now, we just got finished talking about Pumpkin Jack and how much we enjoy the game and how much we recommend the game. So we won't belabor the point, but we will just reinforce that, yes, indeed, this is definitely a game that we think that you need to check out. This is a game tailor-made for Halloween. As if we haven't said it enough, it bears repeating. It really does. No, seriously, this is like Halloween the video game, basically. This game is just so... It is everything Halloween is. It is all the right vibes in one little package. And I, I mean, we couldn't leave it off the list. And like I said, during the indie showcase, this is actually a game. I don't have any video game traditions necessarily, but this is a game I could very easily see myself replaying each and every Halloween. It's just got that kind of vibe to it. So definitely check out Pumpkin Jack released just this past week on the eShop and let us know what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to recommend. It's, you know, inexpensive. It's uh, quick paced. It's just a lot of fun. It's just, again, it's just got Halloween vibes in spades. So, I mean, again, couldn't leave it off the list. Highly recommend Pumpkin Jack. But going into our number four, this one is interesting because a lot of people may not know this, but Alien Isolation maybe sees its definitive edition on the Nintendo Switch. I mean, Digital Foundry did a breakdown of the game's technical performance on Switch and actually found that, surprisingly, the game performs, looks, runs better on the Nintendo Switch than it does on other platforms. So you could make that argument. Coupled with the fact that the Switch version is the complete edition of the game, uh, the fact that it comes with all seven of its downloadable content offerings, the fact that there's things like motion control aiming and things like that, it's 
it's an awesome version of an awesome game. And if you never played Alien Isolation and you are a fan of the Alien franchise, I really can't recommend it highly enough. It is probably the single biggest piece of Alien fan service that exists. I mean, it is meticulously detailed. Uh, the world, the sound, the sort of like lo-fi 70s visuals. I mean, I was reading about the development of the game, and I think Fox gave them like terabytes of data and pictures and things to reference when they were developing the game. It, it, it just looks and sounds perfect. And if you just really want to lose yourself in that space for Halloween, I, I don't think you can do much better than Alien Isolation. It's also terrifying. The alien in this game will stalk you and surprise you. And uh, I mean, it is not for the faint of heart. You will die and you will be scared. And note that we are not talking about aliens, colonial marines. Oh, no, 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 no. No, in alien isolation, you are basically helpless against the alien xenomorph. The entire point of the game is to stay away from it, to make sure that it never knows you are there very much in a lot of contemporary games many of which we've talked about on this show games like outlast games like detention where you have no real means of actually combating the enemies that you're coming up against your only hope is to be able to get past them safely alien isolation is very much in that same vein so again just a huge huge piece of fan service and uh again just like you said seth a just an absolutely terrifying, terrifying game. And I think what makes this one such an interesting case, just like you said, is the fact that, you know, as much as we love Nintendo, obviously, the the fact that this is a superior version to the PS4 release of the game, I think is really, really interesting. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a case like that where a game has been ported from you know, the current gen competition like Xbox One and PS4, obviously it's not going to stack up to the PC version of the game, but it's really interesting to look at it and be like, oh, wow, this actually looks better than it does on Xbox One and PS4. That That's crazy. There's usually some sort of graphical, technological concession to be made when porting a game to the Switch. It's not usually an improvement. So that alone, I think, really makes the game stand out to speak nothing of the actual quality of the game. Um, If you are a single player gamer, if you're somebody who wants to just spend the night, you know, locked in, uh, bundled up in the covers, just ready to be terrified for Halloween with a bowl of candy next to you, Alien Isolation fits the bill and is perfect for, for Halloween on the Switch. Yeah, as much as we love Nintendo, we will admit that there's not too many multi-platform games that we would necessarily recommend the switch version over the ps4 or xbox one version however uh with such an amazing game in alien isolation and with the definitive version being effectively on the nintendo switch it is definitely a game you guys should check out this halloween so as we're coming into our number three something that i thought would be really interesting is hey you know We're coming up with this list. Why don't we look at kind of a retro game to bring to the list? Something that is available on the Switch via the NES, SNES online apps that are available for Nintendo Switch Online that could help you ring in Halloween night and really get you into the mood. And uh, yeah, what's our number three, Eric? 
So if you have Nintendo Switch Online, this is a completely free game to play on the Super Nintendo Switch Online service. Now, a couple of you may think you know which one we're going to be talking about. However, for our number three, we are going with Demon's Crest on the Super Nintendo. My boy Firebrand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Demon's Crest, Demon's Crest is actually... An incredibly expensive game if you were going to try to find it physically. This is one of the reasons that I specifically wanted to feature this game is because I saw this game come into my store back when I was a video game store manager so many times. And it was it's such an expensive game to get. Not, you know, $500 expensive, but it certainly retained its value. About to say 100 plus, though. Yeah. Yeah. But Demon's Crest does come from the same series as a game that I think a lot of you thought we were going to talk about, which is Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Firebrand is a character from that universe. Now, he initially got his first ever adventure on the Game Boy called Gargoyle's Quest, which gamers of a certain age might be familiar with. There was even a Gargoyle's Quest 2 on the NES and on the Game Boy in Japan. And then they finished the trilogy with Demon's Crest on the Super Nintendo. And the best way I can kind of describe Demon's Crest is it's basically, and this is something I told you, Seth, that it's kind of like Mega Man X meets Castlevania. Right, right. Because you play as this character Firebrand, this red-winged gargoyle demon. It's the, I, I love the, the, the character designs in this. The character designs are oh, essentially too. the original... Bloodstained Curse of the Moon type character designs. They're just so good. And especially for all of us kids that grew up with the Super Nintendo, they just, they look super cool. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, you, you felt like you you shouldn't be allowed to play this and that made it cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like kids love Shadow the Hedgehog. Kids love Baraka from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> right. You know, it's just that kind of edgy, cool the 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 kind of awesome looking character designs that you think that you could jot in your own notebook at elementary school I was school. just going to say I was literally just going to say like that black composition teenage notebook yes exactly that those those types of designs really spoke to to young uh Eric but the game itself just like the games that I'm comparing it to Mega Man X and Castlevania it plays just as tight it's just a ton of fun. It's a action-based pseudo puzzle platformer and you can even traverse a an overworld that's kind of reminiscent of Final Fantasy in a few ways. Mm. But but the but the game itself is just an absolute blast. And again, if you have the Nintendo Switch online service, it is free to play. This is definitely definitely a hidden gem for many people. Those who know no, but those who haven't experienced Demon's Crest, I highly, highly recommend you check out this game in the Super Ghouls and Ghosts franchise. If Super Ghouls and Ghosts is maybe causing you to rage quit a little bit too much, jump in with my boy Firebrand and have some fun. Yeah, I mean, some folks might be kind of familiar with Firebrand or, or even like Arthur from like Marvel vs. Capcom. But yeah, I mean... The, this, if you can't see why a game in which you play through these kind of like gothic Castlevania-esque platforming levels as a fire-breathing red gargoyle isn't suitable for Halloween. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's so good. It's just fun. 
And it may come as a surprise that Firebrand from Marvel vs. Capcom literally has an entire trilogy of games to himself outside of the Super Ghouls and Ghosts series. But yeah, go figure. Firebrand actually has more legacy than a lot of the characters in MVC. But yeah, that is kind of funny to consider. <laughs> well, moving into our number two, you know... This, this might seem obvious to some folks, especially if you're listening to this podcast. You're obviously a big Nintendo fan, and you're a big Nintendo Switch player, presumably. And presumably, you've been gearing up for Halloween all month long in your island on Animal Crossing New Horizons, which is our number two. I mean, I know you and I have been playing this game ever since that Halloween update hit, ever since that, you know gearing up, getting our candy every day, putting out our our pumpkins on our islands. I feel like pumpkin spice is going to be growing on my island from now on. I'm coming to your island. (laughs) Yeah, just going to have lattes coming out of the ground. (laughs) This is such a, you know, Animal Crossing in general has always been great about uh, holidays, but, but I think that New Horizons just really ratcheted the whole holiday celebration stuff up to 11 and I think that since the game has launched, I, I mean, I think the argument could be made. I would certainly argue that Halloween is the one that they have gone the hardest for. All of the DIYs, all the pumpkins, being able to grow your own pumpkins to use as crafting materials, getting the candy, everything gearing up to Halloween night. It's, it's exciting stuff. And like we've already kind of talked about later tonight, Halloween night on my island, we're going to have a party on Hotaru, me and you. And that's the reason that we decided to put this in number two. It's not just about the Halloween content that we've been talking about for the past month. It's not just about all the DIYs and the pumpkins and and all the stuff gearing up for the Halloween celebration tonight. It's the fact that this is a top five games you should be playing for Halloween 2020. And obviously 2020 has not been the best for a lot of people and for a lot of people. It has, it's going to affect your plans for this evening. A lot of people are going to be having parties that they're not going to be going to. A lot of people are going to be not doing trick-or-treating. And this is why we wanted to feature this game specifically. It wasn't just about the Halloween content. It's about what you can do with Animal Crossing. Like we have mentioned time and time again over the past few months, People have found really unique and interesting ways to utilize Animal Crossing for a myriad of different purposes and set up like a virtual trick-or-treating party in Animal Crossing, set up Halloween parties in Animal Crossing. You know, sure, enjoy enjoy Jack, the czar of Halloween, enjoy all that content, absolutely, but, you know... If you're not able to go out and enjoy Halloween because of COVID, you know, use Animal Crossing. If you have it, use it. I mean, there's a lot of really, really interesting ways that you could go. You even had a like a whole game night set up on your island the last time when we celebrated your wife's birthday, Seth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was actually, so my wife, unfortunately, her birthday was in like mid-May. It was right as the pandemic was really sort of kicking off and she was really bummed out. We couldn't go anywhere, do anything for her birthday. So yeah, I I went all out. I threw a big old party 
with uh, with us and, and our friends on my island for her birthday. And I'm not going to get into the details of what I'm doing for Halloween, considering that one of my guests is my co-host on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. However, I do have some things planned for Halloween on my island. And, and yeah, you and my wife and, and I are going to be uh, having a little Halloween party on my island. And yeah, it's just nice. Like when you can't unite with your friends in person, be it for the pandemic or whatever, uh, just really nice to be able to play Animal Crossing. Yeah, you've got the the in-game events with your, you know, your own villagers and stuff, but you can also unite with your friends in-game too. And I think that is really, really special in this time and just speaks to the power of Animal Crossing, uh, especially in 2020. And if you are going all out for Halloween in Animal Crossing, we would love to hear about it. Reach out to us at All In Podcast on Facebook, at All In Podcast on Twitter, and please do subscribe to All In on whatever podcasting service you are listening to us on. But again, we would really love to hear about your Animal Crossing Halloween plans. So do yeah. reach out to us and let us know. Maybe you can give us some ideas for next year. Tweet some pictures out, maybe. I want to I want to see what your, your island decorations are looking like. People's creativity in games like Animal Crossing, Mario Maker, they just never cease to amaze me. So yes, please do reach out to us and let us know. Absolutely. But hey, before we get into our number one pick, let's go into some honorable mentions, shall we? Yes, because we do have a few. Go figure, there are actually quite a few good Halloween offerings on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, there's actually currently an eShop sale going on that I recommend checking out. We got a lot of spooky games that are highly recommendable currently on sale. One of them actually is Ghostbusters, the video game Remastered. That's a remastered version of the Ghostbusters game from 2009. I wanted to make sure we shouted this out, at least in the honorable mentions, because that game is super good. And more people should play it. Yeah, I, I cannot believe that game came out 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah, right? But if you have not somehow played Ghostbusters, uh, the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch is, oh my God, it's just so good. If you haven't played it, definitely check it out. It's on sale for the next few days. But yeah, definitely check it out. Another game we definitely wanted to spotlight was Outlast. Now, if you are even remotely aware of the indie game scene, chances are you've probably heard a lot about this terrifying indie game. And for good reason. The game is absolutely fantastic. And specifically, the Outlast Bundle of Terror is the version on the eShop you should definitely give a look to. Really, really interesting. The game is actually very similar to Alien Isolation in terms of you are basically a helpless player character just desperately trying not to be noticed, trying to stay away from all the, uh, let's just call them friends who might yeah. want to, uh, you know, do not very nice things to you. However, the atmosphere, the lighting, just everything about the game uh, once you finish Alien Isolation, if you like that experience, definitely check out Outlast Bundle of Terror. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's a bunch of games, you know, that just looking at, you know, Outlast, the Bundle of Terror, Outlast 2, both currently on sale. I, uh, the eShop, like I said, is doing some sort of like Halloween sale. The Amnesia Collection is another one very much in that vein that I could recommend yeah. on Switch. Um, another honorable mention, they just had that uh, Blair Witch game come out which is on switch mm. and uh, that, you know, I love that movie. I don't know about you. I'm a big fan of Blair, Witch. 
but <laughs> I respect what it did. I was a very, very pioneering movie and to make as much money as it did on its budget. I respect that. Yeah. And the game's good too. Like I, I was actually impressed with the game, so I can recommend that on switch. Another one that I'm going to shout out. This might be a little bit of a weird one. Darksiders two. Dark Souls ah, 2, the Death Initiative edition. Where you literally play as death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Those names, are, those names are so bad. They're so bad, but so good at the same time. So both Darksiders games are actually on sale in the eShop right now. But Darksiders 2 specifically for the Halloween vibes, definitely can recommend that. <laughs> Fair enough. And another thing that I feel like we should shout out actually are like in-game Halloween events. Like Splatoon 2 currently has the Splatoween Team Trick versus Team Treat going on right now as you're listening to this episode. Overwatch has their Halloween event going on. So I encourage you guys to, again, if you're just looking for more games to play to get into the Halloween spirit, uh, look at some of these multiplayer games. Several of them have got Halloween events going on. So shout out to them too. And to finish off our Halloween honorable mentions, we just want to shout out real quick one more time the previous games from our spooky indie showcase over this past month. Uh, do make sure to check out games like Inmost, check out Detention, check out Little Nightmares, the complete edition, and do check out Curse of the Moon 1 and 2. Every single one of those games is definitely a worthy choice for your Halloween playlist. Completely agree, but without further ado, let's get into our number one pick. Yeah, we won't do much build up with this. It may seem like low-hanging fruit, but when it comes to Halloween-themed games on the Nintendo Switch, how could we really choose anything but luigi's mansion three i mean you just gotta do it right exactly i mean not <laughs> not only is it the perfect nintendo game to play for any spooky season but since it came out last year around this time they've actually added quite a bit to the game so this year they've released a couple different multiplayer party packs for luigi's mansion three you had the multiplayer party pack one and two that were released in March and April, respectively. Now, all of the content is only 10 bucks, which which is fantastic. They didn't add any single player content, but they did add a lot of content to the Scarescraper and Scream Park multiplayer suites. Not only did they add a bunch of different skins, but they added a lot of different level themes and even themed ghosts into the Scarescraper. And for the Screen Park, they added in half a dozen new games that you can play. So if you've never played Luigi's Mansion 3, it is definitely, regardless of the holiday, regardless of the season, it's a game you really should play anyway. But it's definitely one that is made for the spooky season. So if, oh, yeah. you've, if you've never played Luigi's Mansion 3, do remedy that. And if you've got some friends that you can get online with, uh, absolutely check out all the extra content in the Scarescraper and the Screen Park. I know you and I are actually going to be doing that probably a little bit later before we get uh, to the Halloween party. <laughs> yeah, we got to. I mean, admittedly, I haven't really spent much time with it. So I'm actually looking forward to that. But I mean, with this game in particular, I mean, so not only is it obviously the low hanging fruit, the, uh, you know, the perfect Halloween game in terms of first party Nintendo games, but it's also a, you know, for my money. And, and I think you agree with this, the best game in the series, hands down. Yes. Which is saying um, something, which is saying something. 
it's also not only is there a you know like you just uh, got into a fantastic suite of online multiplayer content that Nintendo has been supporting over the past year it's also a great local co-op game where the second player can take control of Gooigi. I mean, you can have a, an amazing experience. I played through the entire game single player and had an amazing experience, but there's drop in, drop out, co-op, couch, multiplayer. And I mean, if you've got like a family member, a significant other or whatever that you're spending Halloween with, I mean, the two of you on the couch playing Luigi's Mansion 3, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. So, I mean, no matter what, I think what makes this the perfect choice for a number one is no matter if you're playing single player, local or online multiplayer, Luigi's Mansion not only has you covered, but has an amazing experience in store for you for Halloween 2020, regardless of how you play it. And I think it just speaks to the quality of the game that they were able to make a quote unquote character like Gooigi so likable. A character that when you're not actively controlling it does literally nothing (laughs) yeah but it's so like i mean we could go on and on about that game it is so good i mean that like just from the the bosses the design of the hotel i mean it's it's awesome what a great game the creativity on display in luigi's mansion 3 is just is second to none it really is it's just so much fun despite how i mean it's a pretty meaty game but despite that, it's one that you could very easily see yourself going back to time and again, just because of how enjoyable the entire experience is. The 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 laugh out loud comedy, Luigi's wonderfully lovable, bumbling, coward hero character. Uh, the amazing, he's such a good boy. Polterpup is such a good boy. He really just, is. Just everything about this game is so practically flawless in its execution and again it's probably about as close to an actual horror series as nintendo is ever going to develop but but it's so good it really is just so good in terms of a spooky nintendo made experience this is about you know this is basically the pinnacle of that type of game yeah i mean it was my favorite game of last year um, and I, I mean, I, I can't point to a better game to recommend to you for Halloween this year. So that, that's why we ultimately had to give it number one. But again, that was our list for the top games you should be playing this Halloween. But what are yours? Definitely let us know and definitely make sure to recommend your favorite Halloween games to other people. Reach out to us on Facebook, reach out to us on Twitter, and tell us how wrong we were about our choices for the top Halloween games of 2020. Absolutely do. But whatever you guys do, whatever you wind up doing for Halloween 2020, um, again, just be safe. Just be safe no matter what you're doing. If you are going to be doing some IRL trick or treating, do take precautions. Because obviously... Things still aren't 100% yet, and we would very much right. like all of you to come back next week. Absolutely. And, you know, for for anything else, as we've already talked about, you could always just throw a little Halloween party in Animal Crossing. It's totally cool. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. But I think without further ado, talking about Luigi's Mansion 3 has got me really wanting to boot this game up. So, uh, Seth, let's go ahead and start doing that right now. Guys, I have been the king of Halloween, Eric Skellington. And I have been Nightmare on Seth Street. Happy Halloween, guys. We'll see you next week. Happy Halloween, folks. Stay spooky. (laughs) 